Amen, amen. Blessed by our worship team, Lord. Thank you for using their voices, their skills, Lord, using their gifts, using their discipline so that they might lead us into uh, your presence, Father. We worship you, we thank you, and we celebrate you. Allow your word to be preached that we might be able to understand you more and live for you as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's uh, these different lists that go out every Christmas, lists of some of the most popular Christmas gifts. Like when I was young, there was uh, used to be these things called um, Transformers when I was a kid. Uh, then there was these bobbleheads one year. You know, every year there's like the new fad, the new phase of what's of what's most popular. They said last year, not this year, 2020, uh, there was a cast iron skillet was the most popular gift given. They said earbuds, Disney subscriptions, and Roku. Everybody was watching TV last year, so you, you can understand that a little bit. But then there's these lists that come out of interesting gifts, we'll say, that people have received that you, you didn't like. Some of the like worst gifts given. Let me let me let you hear about a, a few of those. There's a uh, person that said, hey, my mom gave me a car crash kit. It had a disposable camera for recording the scene, uh, a form for both parties to fill out some tape, measuring tape and uh, some chalk. Like, what's the what's the chalk for? Did, did for all right. Car crash kit. Another person said, hey, I got a set of miniature butter knives with ceramic fruit and vegetables as handles. Uh, and my aunt gave it to me and said, I'm so hard to shop for. I was six. <laughs> Another person said, yeah, I got a, a calendar of spam. Yeah, like January spam. Another picture of spam February, you know, like spam. Uh, one says, hey, my grandpa gave me a, a box of tissue and he was going to put money in it. Then he got it confused and he just Gave me a box of tissue. Uh, last one I thought was funny is person says, hey, my grandma bought me an ornament with the name David on it, but my name is Morgan. <laughs> gifts, y'all, gifts. We've seen some ultimate cool gifts, some popular gifts. We've had some gifts that maybe was like, eh, but thank you. Appreciate it. You know, this is the season of gift giving as we've just come out of celebrating the birth of Christ. And today, as we dive in, we will be examining gifts given unto God, We'll be examining sacrifices that are made unto God. And I want to encourage you that God delights in your giving. Turn with me to Luke chapter two. And we'll see God delighting in our giving. Luke chapter 2. We've been uh, in this story, the story of Christ's birth. Each week we led up with a different examination of Christ's birth and what led up to him entering into our world. You know, our brother Joseph and Mary both were visited by angels. Angels came to them and angel spoke and an angel said to Joseph, hey, calm down. Don't be afraid. Your wife to be, 
she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken, that behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's what the angel said to Joseph. Angels separately spoke to Mary and said, Mary, you favored one. The Lord is with you. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He's going to be great. He'll be the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Yet Mary and Joseph get this word from the angels, this word that lets them know they're favored and cared for by God. And it leads them to what you think is going to be a smooth sailing experience with this birth. But it doesn't happen that way. There's no room at the end. There's no place to go for them. They end up putting their son in a manger, a, a feeding trough that animals would have eaten out of. And that's the environment that our, our Savior is born into. A, a place that you wouldn't pick, but a place that we revere because it reminded us of the, of the care, of the love, of the scope and range of the reach of this gospel from the highest mountain to the lowest valleys, from the nicest of palaces to the manger setting. This gospel is birthed. And so we then jump into chapter 2, continuing. We're starting with verse 22. Helps us understand some of God's expectations with the giving of gifts and how we can be giving gifts that delight God. Verse 22 says, chapter 2 of Luke, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it, is, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There is a uh, sacrifice that has to be made. Blood is considered the, the life source, and any time the life source is spilled, there is a process of restoration because something so valuable to God has been spilled. And so that purification process, that process is one that leads Joseph and Mary to now lead, leave from Bethlehem to head to Jerusalem. They are headed to the temple to be on this restoration purification process. And they're going there and they have something with them. They have what you see in verse 24, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, part of what you are bringing with you are two offerings. One offering is that of a lamb. The second offering is that of a dove or a pigeon. 
why these things? These things are, are commonplace. These things are what the stable, those who have finances, would bring to the temple to, to kind of reset things, to say, okay, I want to offer something unto the Lord. There's a, a burnt offering that is pleasing in God's sight that, that, that resets things with the Lord. And then there's a sin offering. Now, if you're a sinful person, if you're a person that's coming because you've done God wrong or done your brother or sister wrong, it's flipped. You start with the sin offering first. And then second is the burnt offering. But we know here that the, this, this purification rite is not about sin. Joseph and Mary have not done anything wrong, but because blood has been spilled, there is still a process of restoration that happens. And so they come... They come to make this offering. They come to make these sacrifices. They come, though, and the Leviticus 12 is where you see this. They come not with what is most commonly offered, a lamb, a lamb and a dove or a lamb and a pigeon. They come actually with what is mentioned here, two young pigeons or two turtle doves. You see, God made a, a, a way in which your gift connected to your ability to give. Your gift was connected to your ability to give. If you are a person of means and a person of stature and a person of wealth, then you brought forth a lamb. A lamb costs a bit more than a dove, as you can imagine. Definitely a dove costs a little more than a pigeon. And so there was a bit of a, a hierarchy, not a hierarchy in God's mind or in God's heart, but in society, people brought different items. And so even seeing here that there's a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons that were used by Mary and Joseph, we're understanding already that they were people that were not of very much means. There were people that financially didn't, didn't have a lot. There were people that were from the lower rung of society financially. They've come from a place where they couldn't find a room. They've just had their Messiah, had the Messiah, had their baby boy in a manger. And now when they go to the temple for this purification process, they are bringing forth a couple doves or some pigeons. You see, I, I, I love this setting by which the, 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 the lamb that was slain in the future, this, this king of kings, this lord of lords, actually comes as a child into a family and an environment that is humble, an environment that is not lavish, an environment where finances do not abound in an environment where many would just say the word and go ahead, say the word, pastor, poor. His family did not seem to have extravagant means, and we don't know the extent of their financial stability. What we do know is you don't bring pigeons if you can afford a lamb. You don't bring turtle doves if you can afford a lamb. That's set aside for the lower class. But God does not see the lamb as a better offering than the pigeons or the pigeons beneath the turtle doves. No, God sees the offering that is coming before 
him the gift that is given this sacrifice that is being offered as beautiful as pleasing as joyous and so we get a chance to pause and consider ourselves you've been to a to a christmas party you've been to an event where you know everybody's supposed to shop and grab an item you go grab yours put it out there Somebody opens up your item, and now you start to feel a little like, <laughs> um, you feel a little short. You feel a little, a little, a little stretched right now because everybody else for this ten dollar thing bought thirty and forty dollar items. <laughs> you stuck to the plan, bought a ten dollar item. You start gauging your gift in comparison to what everybody else gave. You see this 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 temple approach, this approach where they are bringing forth this gift, this sacrifice, this restoration, this gratitude is not based on what others give. It's not based on what others in society were able to do. It is Mary, Joseph, responding to what God expected of them to bring forth what would be pleasing to God, to bring forth what would bless the Lord, to bring forth an offering that would be a sweet aroma, to bring forth two turtle doves. Now, as you hear the song, it clicks in your mind a little bit. That's what that was. Okay. Something that was brought forth as an offering for Christ. And so Mary and Joseph go forth. They take this back to the temple. But then not only do we get a chance to see the gift they give, we get a chance to see the response of of two people that confirm their gift, that confirm the son that they've just had as the Messiah. Two people that that demonstrate what it looks like to give of themselves. Continue with me. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This man, Simeon, we don't know a lot about him. It's kind of like the only time we get a chance to really get a snippet of who he is. What we do know is that he's a righteous man, a devout man. Being devout means that he he went through the 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 religious practices. He got up and prayed or before he went to bed, he prayed, he fasted, he read, he went through the disciplines, but he also didn't do it for show. It wasn't something to impress people. Being devout means that that you do it faithfully and religiously, even if nobody sees it. Because you're devoted, you're devout unto your king. And so this man, Simeon, was a righteous man that did this, but he was waiting 
for the consolation of Israel. And the consolation of Israel is, is he was waiting for the salvation of the people to come. Pursuing God fervently, but trusting that salvation is coming. You can't but trust God for something big when you when you read the scriptures. When you spend time in God's word, you can't but have some expectation. I'm I'm always encouraged by people. Uh, and, and I've had seasons in my own life where Bible reading has been a struggle. Not because of my love for God wasn't there, but because I'm I mess around and get too busy or I try to put other things there in, in place of that. Or, OK, God, I know you understand. There's been those seasons where Bible reading is can be difficult. But what I'm blown away by is that when you do read the scriptures, you can't help but have some measure of hope. Because some something will happen miraculous in the scriptures and you're like, dang. Okay, I can hope that for my family member or for my brother, even if I can't believe it for myself. Or, Lord, could you do that for me? Like, like you, if you spend time in scriptures long enough, you come across broken people who God works in their life or situations that seem way too big, way too much, and then God works it out. You see, if you stay devoted, if you stay in some of those disciplines, it'll lead you towards longing for Christ to do something. It'll lead you towards expecting him to show up. And Simeon had that posture. Don't get me wrong. Our life situations can bring that too. There's been a, enough reason to hit your knees and pray to seek God's word that the world throws at us. Enough drama filled things. But those drama filled things don't necessarily induce hope. Drama filled things from the world can induce worry, stress, anxiety. Don't let the world be your driving force for how you move through life. No, spend time devoted. Be a devout person unto God. And yes, pastor, you're saying operating those religious principles, even if we don't feel like it sometime. Yes. Yes. Simeon. Man of righteous character, devout waiting to see the salvation of the Lord overtake the people. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That phrase of, of the anointed one, of, of Yahweh's anointed one, the Messiah. Continue with me in verse 27. And he came in the spirit of the, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. He came into the spirit. He, well, he came in the spirit into the temple. What's happening, y'all? We got the large temple. This is not like the holy of holy areas. This is out in the courtyard of the temple. It just so happens. It just happens to be a coincidence by chance 
he's coming into the temple and Mary and Joseph are coming too and they intersect. No, it's no chance. No, there's no coincidence. It is the Holy Spirit that allows their paths to cross. This man devoted unto God who hears this, this word from God that he's not going to die meets Mary and Joseph. Meets this child, Jesus. And he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. It's the temple courts. It's the outer area. It's, 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 it's the place where everybody comes. All people are coming. Do you know how many people that have physical ailments are coming to the temple. You know how many people are coming to be restored because of sinful acts and they're coming to bring forth their sacrifices. Do you know how many people are coming for marriage and people coming for ailments and people coming with children? You know how many children a devout person would see? A person that comes to the temple quite often? And notice his response, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's seeing a baby. He's seeing a, a child. He's not seeing miracles happen. He's not seeing uh, the, the dead raised. He's not seeing the, the sick healed. He's not seeing uh, these. He's seeing a child. And the beauty is the, in that is that from the very beginning, we get the image, we get the statement, we get that phrase, Jesus is enough. We get a devoted man, devout man, hears a word from the Lord, filled by the Spirit, seeing this babe and knowing this is the Messiah. See, when you're filled with the Spirit, which I long for, I long for that in my life, in your life, in the life of this church, I long for us to be filled, for, filled by the Spirit that God might use us and open our eyes to how he moves, how he's conducting himself. It is clear you don't need to have a feeling of the Spirit. Hearing and understanding that Jesus is the Messiah is a move of the Spirit right now where you have a chance to believe in this truth. But there's some Holy Spirit interactions that take place. There's some ways that God lines things up so that you cross paths and can be used by God for his glory. There's a, uh, a man that was a, uh, he was a salesman, a prominent salesman back in 1850s. His name was uh, D.L. Moody. He was uh, uh, a really prosperous shoe salesman. He gave that up to be a missionary. Uh, he started working as a missionary. He established a, a church. He uh, started with uh, the YMCA that was in Chicago, uh, was the president of that for some time, had a really big missions or missional posture that was focused on uh, what they called then the slums of Chicago. Uh, and he would engage in those communities often, uh, sharing the gospel. 
And then he gets ready to go on, a, on an evangelistic campaign in England. And we don't know who said this, but it was recorded that an elderly pastor in England protested. Why do we need this dude? Why do we need this D.L. Moody? He's uneducated. He's inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? A young, wiser pastor rose and responded and said, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. See, when the Holy Spirit fills you, when he takes a hold of you, you will see things as they are. You will recognize the Messiah and you will recognize what he's leading you to do. Where he's leading you to go. What the mission of advancing his kingdom is to be about. Thankful for images of Simeon and and not chasing after the new and cool thing. But Simeon has this babe and he sees this babe as the Messiah. And Jesus is enough. Continue with me in these words that. That, that Simeon says, so in verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. His eyes saw the salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Some people used to debate back and forth. Was Jesus here just for the people of Israel? But it's clear, he says, all peoples, and then they even break it down further. Light revelation for Gentiles, those that would have understood uh, worldly ways, behavior that was, that was led by the world, led by the flesh, led by corruptness, whatever you wanted to call it. That's what the Gentiles were. They were far from God. We were Gentiles. We were far from God. And you had the people of Israel, some that were just culturally going through the motions. You can be devout and not really love God. You can just go through the motions and pray, read, and it'd and it be, it be nothing ever. And you're doing it just to impress other people. You're doing it just because that's how the fam gets down. You're doing it. And it's not real. And this glory was going to be shown to the Gentiles as well as to the people of Israel. That all people would understand that this was the Messiah. But verse 34, there was going to be a fall and rising. Why? Because each of us still have that fork in the road. We each still have that that challenge. Once the Messiah is born, he's here and now his life is of meaning, of value. His life demands that we give our lives for his. Now we're at that fork in the road. 
do you believe him as the Messiah and choose to follow him as he says, follow me? Or do you continue on in your worldly, in your selfish, in your preconceived notions of what God expects in your own ways? You see him as prophet. You see him as a fulfillment of prophecy. Or you see him as just another good option. You see, there was going to be a rise and falling because some were going to stand up and stand with God and some were going to reject him and choose to continue in their ways. And that's a question we have, right? It's an opportunity that we get to continue daily to say, Lord, let me die. Let this flesh die daily. But also let me introduce and allow other people to have an experience of choosing you. He saw. Now he's going to be able to be at, at peace a bit. If he's able to see the salvation that was that was told to him. I like it because you have you have one that is that is seen as a person of of dignity. You got a man. That's a dignified role in the ancient Near East. You have uh, a person welcomed in the temple, which means that he had uh, um, uh, prophecy understanding. He understood that scriptures were important. He was a person that that you would say. This is a person of higher stature. Coming down to acknowledge this babe. The next person is not one of higher stature. The next person actually would be considered the low, the the outcast, the marginalized within our culture. Look with me, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Widow is a woman whose husband has passed away. But what makes a widow a widow is that she also does not have children that can then care for her. And so now when her husband passed away, all inheritance gone, all stability gone, all ability to provide and have some sense of structure, foundation, gone. If it works out in her favor and her husband had a, a, a brother who was of means. The brother may take her in, and that's kind of how the Ruth, uh, how things play out in Ruth. But oftentimes, widows were grouped with those that were cast aside in our community. Widows were grouped with orphans. Widows were grouped and looked down upon. I like that this... Uh, this, this author says the plight of a widow was recognized in a number of laws 
designed for her protection and even survival. God was her legal protector and saw that she was provided for with essentials of food and clothing. Those who denied her justice were cursed by God. At harvest time, the widow might glean the grains in the fields as well as some grapes and olives. And she was also eligible for some assistance from the third year time. Nevertheless, the poverty of widows and the cruel treatment extended to them was so widespread that frequent references is made to it. Widows were not revered. Widows were marginalized. But this woman, a widow, for some time, for a grip, says she was with the hubby seven years after being, let's say seven years after uh, she was a virgin, and then she's now, what, 84? I mean, how long? Y'all do the math. Y'all don't get me to mess it up up here on stage. But the, but, but the point is, there has been some time that she's experienced being marginalized in this way. But just because she might be deemed lower by society, just because economically she might not seem like the person who has the most, just because she would be considered an outcast or looked down upon, that does not speak to her character. You might assign a worldly title, title widow, but that does not describe her character. See, her character is one where she loved the Lord. She spent time in the temple worshiping and fasting. She spent time seeking the Lord and praying. And how does she respond when hearing about and made aware of this Savior being born? Does she say, I'm too old to go out and talk to people? All my better days is behind me, and we just hope that things will work out. Oh, it's good to know the Savior's been born. No, this woman in her older age, older years, goes out, speaks of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Does that change your view of the scriptures? Does that, does that change your view of the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain? Go tell it on a mountain. What our worship team was singing, does that, does that change it when you think of that person being a senior citizen? A person that didn't kick it with a lot of people because either she was outcast when she was in the street or when she was in the temple, she was praying, fasting, and worshiping. Not somebody of big stature, but a person that says, this Messiah is real. This king has been born. God is with us. And so what does she give? She gives of herself. She gives of her tongue. She gives of her body. She gives of her being. She goes and says, you've been waiting. He's here. You've been looking. He's here. You've been asking. He's here. You've been requesting, longing, expecting. He's here. Grateful that she gave of herself. 
You see Simeon giving of his time, of his self. You see Anna giving of herself. You see Mary and Joseph giving of what they had. I say these things because the Bible is quite clear that the gospel reaches all of us. But the question is not how big is your gift? The question is not can your gift compete with other people? The question is, will you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and use your gift towards his kingdom advancement? I think Hannah was Anna was pretty missional. I think she was pretty on target with what the Lord would have her to do. I think Simeon was responding in the way he should. I think that Mary and Joseph didn't say, well, it's all we got. No, they brought forth what they had. Pastor, what does that look like? What what does that even mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to be giving more financially? Maybe yes. Does that mean I'm supposed to be giving more of my time? Maybe yes. Does that mean I'm supposed to be spending time helping people and walking with them and journeying with them? Maybe yes. Does that mean I'm supposed to be praying more and reading the word more and having hope for what you're going to do in this life? Maybe yes. Does that mean I need to be willing to see that Jesus is enough? I mean, in these verses... That answer is definitely yes. But in every page of the book, you see that answer that Jesus is enough. Yes, yes, yes. We see four lives as as examples. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna. But what will we write for your life? What does giving look like unto you? This is not a... New Year's coming speech where, hey, we just want to have you give a whole bunch more and get you riled up. No, we're not trying to overwhelm you. We are trying to biblically root you in understanding what's expected. And what's expected of all of us is that we follow him and we give our lives. And if our life is given unto him, oh, he can use you. He can use you. If you are in our Mac Kids ministry, yes, children, this applies to you. He can use you if you are in our youth group. Yes, teenagers, my young adults, he can use you. My my young folks that are just graduated from high school that are moving on, the Angeliques and crew. Yes, he can use you. My a uh, little bit older young adults, the third, the, the, the late 20s, early 30s, the, the seniors, the, the seasoned, the yes, he can use you. Whether you're Simeon, Mary, Anna, he can use you if you allow him to receive your gifts. Trust me, he will delight in what you bring when we bring it with the right missional heart. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful. We are thankful. We see these different lives, these different stories, these these lives confirm your birth.
but they also inspire us to do something more. To seek and long for the Holy Spirit to fill us in ways that we might see you move and see you aligning things so that we can respond on your behalf, Lord. Line it up. But let us not think up as for somebody else. I thank you for what Anna modeled. I thank you for models like this in our lives. May we be people that go and tell it. Tell it everywhere we go. That Jesus Christ is born. And that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Family, we are, uh, whoo. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Just, I just, I get excited when I think about God grabbing a hold of our hearts. I think about that for our, our young people. I think about that for our seasoned people. I think about that for our whole church family. I know he's got you. But don't get comfortable. Don't get in a, a pattern. Don't get used to God moving and then you expect him and put him in this little box. Come before him. Ask the question. I was driving over here feeling convicted like, man, we, our kids got blessed with some, some stuff for Christmas. Some, you know, grandparents be loving on them, family be loving on them. They got a little money. I haven't talked to them one time about how will you use this money to bless somebody else? What, what, what am I training them in? I want to train them in a posture of giving, a posture of caring for others, a posture of asking God, you've blessed me with this, now how do I bless somebody else? I'm in a crazy generous church. Y'all are awesome. But I also know we're broken people that are sinful. And one of the, one of the sins that can plague people is a mediocrity or, a, or being conformed or just being, it's a word with a C that ain't coming to my mind right now, but uh, complacent where you just kind of going through the motions. Don't, don't, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is alive. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is in us. Let him work. And when he does, that missional posture, it'll overflow into what we do. I confess, it's been a while since I met a stranger and invited them to Mac Ave. And I'm the pastor. I confess. Not to y'all. I'm confessing to the Lord, but I'm bringing y'all into it. That's not a guilt trip. I know we got a great gift here. I know Christ is present, and I know he is abiding and working in the lives of these amazing people. Share the gift, Lee, huh? Thank you, all I'm grateful for your beauty. And I'm also excited to see how God moves as we consider giving in a way that brings him delight.